the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome along to the second of our Nutrient Strategy podcast. I'm George Gawley from the Farm Advisory Service and I'm delighted today to be joined by David Fuller-Shapcott from Sweet Up Farm in the Scottish Borders. David uses a low tillage system alongside a winter-spring rotation as a method of improving soil health and organic matter. I'm also delighted today to be joined again by Audrey Littrick. Uh, Audrey has over 25 years experience as a crop and environmental scientist. And, and during the past 12 years, she has specialized in composting, AD systems, fertilizers, and the use of compost digestates in farming. The aim of today's podcast is to learn a bit more about local farmer David's strategy before going on to talk a bit more about green manures. What are they and is there a place for them to be practically integrated within an arable system? So, David, welcome along today. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you along. And could you just start, David, by giving us an introduction to the farm? So uh, Sweet Up is a, a family-owned farm. Um, we've been here for 32 years. Uh, we're on heavy, high-magnesium clay soils um, with total 200 hectares owned and 80 hectares rented at the moment. Um, and our rotation is based around uh, an orseed rape, winter wheat, spring oats, winter wheat, spring barley, and then winter barley. Uh, and that rotation gives us um, a, a, a winter spring cropping strategy, which we'll talk about later. Um, I also have a, a bed and breakfast cattle and grazing grass parklets as well. But it, my, my long term aim with what we're doing here now is uh, um, to go to either low, low tillage crop establishment or no tillage crop establishment uh, in order to improve the sustainability of the farm. Uh, and obviously contribute towards net zero in the process. So uh, if we look at the uh, uh, cropping rotation, um, my, my, it's very difficult for us to do stale seed beds. Because we're heavy clay soils, we're also quite cold soils. And so we tend to be late to warm up in the spring and, uh, and quick to cool down in the autumn. And that means that we have lower growth periods and so I try and use as much as I can a winter followed by spring cropping balance in order to be able to produce a stale seed bed. Um, and uh, what I'm trying to do uh, uh, is increase our organic matter, which will help warm the soils. Um, and th that's being done by incorporation of straw and applying um, muck. So we use cattle muck from the sheds and we also import both hemp hen and uh, compost, which we use in a blend, in fact, when applied. Um, uh, and the, the, the concept really for uh, us is where we've got a winter and winter followed by spring crop is if there's an opportunity to put cover crops in uh, or green manures in, we will use it. But quite often there isn't. And so we rely on the volunteers of the previous crop to act 
as a cover crop or green manure over the winter months. So simplicity is one of the benefits of our system. Um, I'm not under as much pressure to uh, plant a, 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 a winter crop following a winter crop, particularly like a second wheat, for instance, uh, where timeliness would be a challenge for us here. Um, and so uh, uh, using, at the moment, uh, low tillage establishment, my plan or what we do at the minute is a cultivation, one pass for the cultivator. It's a deep tined and disc cultivator. And that's followed by a power combination unit, front mounted seed hopper, which reduces the weight on the back um, and a set of rolls if the opportunity arises in the autumn. And that same principle is used in the spring. So I do not use winter plowing. Um, and in the spring, we have the cultivator and the drill and the rolls going in the same field at times. So as to keep everything nice and tight together and preserve the moisture before it disappears. We seem to have been in a cycle of uh, very dry springs recently, and that's a means of preserving the moisture for us. In terms of disadvantages to us, um, we really need to be thinking about how well that system fits with the uh, uh, the climate change issues that we're facing. I'm at the moment constantly struggling with trying to get winter wheat in after spring oats. I've not had any winter wheat in the ground this year after spring oats. Um, and so I'm actually looking at whether that concept uh, of winter followed by spring doesn't get changed a bit. Uh, perhaps having a spring oats followed by a spring crop uh, in order to help with that. Oats are definitely bringing a big benefit in terms of soil conditioning to the party. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see whether uh, the result of uh, of uh, perhaps a change. I've got a, I've got one field that has been in spring oats for harvest twenty, which is going to go into spring barley. Um, I've got to think about the volunteers and control of the volunteers in following crops as part of that strategy too, of course. Um, so I've got to try that this year for harvest twenty twenty two and see how we get on with it. See what the cost effectiveness is is of it, um, and um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll. It's, a, it's an evolving process, as all farming is. We'll see what happens. Um, we have we have looked at uh, uh, other sorts of uh, um, green manure options. Indeed, we have a, an X contract using overwintered stubble followed by a green manure in place at the moment, um, and that has uh, been doing well for us. It's been good. I've fine-tuned it over the last few years. It's working quite well. Uh, but that's and that's a spring established crop which then gets destroyed in the autumn before going into a winter crop that fits i'm not sure how well an overwintered cover crop will develop it's something i'm i'm hoping to find out a bit more about uh, uh, from audrey in fact so that probably fairly well sums up what um uh, yeah what what we've been doing a bit of a background as it were uh, to what we're up to yeah that's gr great david one thing i find particularly interesting is you know um the the volunteers that are coming through in the winter um you know what what's your your harvest strategy are you using glyphosate then to to burn off the crops or how does that work so um if i can avoid it i try not to use pre-harvest glyphosate um that's probably as much with a view to the fact that we're very likely to find that banned in the not too distant future anyway. And if I've learned how to deal with it without glyphosate, then obviously I'm a, a step ahead of the game a little bit there. Um, but 
a lot of what we grow is either a seed crop or a human consumption crop. And obviously, in the case of seed crops and things like malting barley crops, uh, uh, they prefer us not to use it. Uh, our oats, the, the contract prefers us not to use uh, um, glyphosate. So where we can, we avoid using glyphosate pre-harvest. Um, and this tends not to inhibit the germination of any volunteers. Uh, and also, obviously, there are uh, any uh, residual weeds that, that are about will also go to form that uh, uh, green cover over the winter. Yeah, that's brilliant. And just the other qu- question, David, what was in terms of your your spring cropping, um, what what's your um, your mock strategy with, with spring sown cr- crops? So uh, I've tried one or two different things uh, as far as the, uh, the, 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 uh, the spring cropping muck strategy is concerned. I have put on um, hemp and compost in the spring uh, pre-drilling. Um, I have also done, uh, which, which, which works, it, it, there's a, sometimes a difficulty in getting the timing of all that matched up when you're relying on contractors for spreading, but it can be done. Um, I have also put... Uh, a hen pine compost uh, blend, which is typically 50-50 blend, uh, directly onto a standing crop. Um, and uh, so long as it's a very quiet, still day, we're on 28-meter tramline centers. So as long as it's a really quiet, still day, uh, then yeah, we can uh, we can do that. Um, it's not as good as doing it and uh, incorporating it because you get some volatilization, obviously. And clearly from an environmental point of view, it's probably not as good either. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of um, autumn established cover crops, David, is, or green manures, is that something that you've dab- dabbled with in the past? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have done a little tiny bit of this uh, um, in the past. Uh, we certainly don't have a window to establish an autumn sown cover crop followed by an autumn crop. That's absolutely certain. Um, if we had a, if we were looking at uh, um, earlier harvested crops, then that might be an option. Um, but when I have done it, uh, it was I've done it twice. Uh, once with a proprietary um black oats and vetch mix i think um and in the spring the field was significantly slower to dry out which delayed us delayed spring establishment and that's an issue for us because clearly uh, um with heavy clay soils in the spring they need to dry out before you can do anything particularly after all the rain we've just been having um and i but i have also put uh, a grass just a plain italian ryegrass in directly behind a winter wheat uh, with a view to it being grazed by uh, livestock over the early part of the following uh, year Um, that actually didn't happen i I wasn't able to get uh, any sheep to graze uh, uh, that grass not having any livestock of our own Um, and so what i subsequently did in fact was to allow that to go through for a very early cut of silage in very early May, and then direct drill a uh, spring, it was a spring oak crop into it. Um, that wasn't a very successful option because I couldn't, I didn't manage to kill the ryegrass very well. Audrey, I'd just like to welcome you back, back again. Um, yeah, thanks for 
um, joining us again on, on our se- second pod- podcast. Um, as David mentioned, there are ma- many farmers in the Borders area who, who have used um, green manures with varying degrees of success. Could you maybe just um, start by um, telling, us, telling us, you know, what exactly is the definition of, of a green manure? What is this? Um, well, basically, the shortest definition would probably be a, a green manure is a crop grown to benefit the soil. It really is as simple as that. Um, the benefits can be wide ranging um, and, and really they depend on the species grown or the species mix grown and the sowing date, um, the length of time the green manure crop is actually in the ground, which is very important, the way in which it's managed and, and crucially on the extent to which the green manure establishes and grows. And we've heard a bit about this already. Um, the biggest problem in Scotland is that, um, unfortunately, however good a farmer you are, it's always a bit of a lottery because it depends on the, the weather and soil conditions. And we've got to have, you know, even before we really began to be aware of what climate, how the climate was changing, we, we already had a very, very variable climate. And what works one year uh, is not, it's never going to be set in a tablet of stone. It's going to be different next year and different year after that. Um, so, and, and the other big problem with green manures is um, that there was actually, there's actually a lot being written about them, particularly by uh, organic farmers and, and the organic food and farming sector, uh, because of organic farmers have used green manures for a very long time and uh, have written quite a bit about them. But much of that writing was really more relevant to sort of Midlands of England southwards and things are very very different up here our growing seasons are significantly shorter and that really can be a game changer complete game changer it can mean that some some species are simply out for us completely out for us um but uh and I've I've heard that what's happening at Sweet Hope is um that in fact a wellish, you know, non-seeding weeds are allowed, or volunteer uh, cereals actually allowed to to colonise the soil over the winter. Well, I'm in massive favour of that. Uh, I also have a, I do quite a bit of work with small-scale horticultural producers, and and uh, you think a cereal crop comes out late. Often vegetable crops are, are are later than that. It's quite often October, November or even December that we're harvesting some of the vegetable crops, there's not the remotest chance that you're going to be able to deliberately sow something when some of those crops have come out the ground. But it doesn't mean to say that you can't have a green manure crop. So what I do with uh, some of the vegetable crops, my own, for example, which are very, very small scale, and also I advise others to do, let the weeds begin to gain a hold as the season advances into September, October, November, where possible, avoid them seeding. You're not trying to build up the seed bank. There's plenty, uh, plenty seeds in the seed bank, uh, weed seeds in the seed bank, usually as it is without you making things worse. But certain certain uh, weed species work very, very well as green manure crops uh, in, a, in a high value veg situation where you've quite often got a lot of nitrogen left over. One of the best ones is actually chickweed. Um, and volunteers are, I'm slightly nervous about advising anybody to use a, a cereal a uh, green manure crop in a in a cereal rotation, particularly wheat in a wheat rotation, because there is the risk that you're going to have, you know, you're going to increase your your disease problems, and you would you would have to presumably um, 
you'll you'll be you'll be watching out for that as well. I would have thought, David, at um, at Sweden, it's something you'd have to keep an eye on because where you've you've got several years there where you know calendar years where wheat is is in the ground, um, you'd have to be careful of that. That and that would be true with with uh, similarly mustards if you're ever putting mustards into that i would not i wouldn't do it in fact full no, stop. I, well, I would never i would it. agree with you I and mean, the part of the uh, the simplicity of my winter spring balance is that i'm not growing second wheats and therefore uh, any volunteer wheats uh, don't reappear in a subsequent spring crop uh, which is clearly an important thing particularly where you're growing quality crops that, that's a, yeah. a, a an absolute must and that's Part of, part of the reason for that so so uh, any winter wheat volunteers that grow uh, uh, will be uh, either grazed or thoroughly killed or both uh, off before any spring crops established and that does that, that removes that there is um, to be fair a risk of a green bridge from an aphid point of view uh, I, haven't, I haven't had that experience yet but I recognize that as a risk um, and on the on mustard, uh, I would agree with you entirely. Uh, uh, with all seed rape in the rotation, I wouldn't dream of having mustard in the field. Uh, uh, cer- certainly not intentionally, and preferably not accidentally. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not just the clubber issue. There's there's all the other things that that go for brassicas. Is is um, there's a long list, and and uh, mustard has many benefits. I mm. would say, particularly as a component of a multi species mm. mix in some situations, but not in yours. Um, so that the, the potential benefits, so we've gone over what a green manure crop is, which is basically a crop to benefit the soil. Um, cover crop is the way you're using them, the way you're using the wheat, um, that could also be called a cover crop. Cover crops, a type of manure, green manure crop, if you like, grown specifically to protect the soil and particularly over the winter. And these, these help, what you're trying to do is help ensure against soil erosion reaching sort of structural damage and competition from weeds from from weeds that you don't want but i would say a green manure can do quite a lot more than that potentially anyway if, if, you, if you get it right um but it depends when you're putting it in and and what you're doing david is basically a short term um a sh- well it'll be very That's short correct, term yes. presumably mm. no more than six months in your case is that right apart from Apart from the summer one, that's the summer one has a completely different yeah. role. Yeah, no, but for the for the for the after a, a winter crop going into the uh, 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 the spring, uh, it, it's only in place from sometime in the second half of September through until the beginning of March or something like that. Yes, that's what I thought. So it will probably not even be six months. And uh, you know, you're you're asking a great deal of any crop. Um, to perform and do something useful in such a short window. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not blaming you for that. That's that's where you live. You know, there's nothing nothing you can do about the fact. And and the other slight disadvantage you have, uh, which you mentioned there, um, is your soils are fairly heavy and fairly slow to warm up in the spring and fairly um, fairly quick to cool down in the autumn. And that's any any heavy textured soil would be like that. Um, and all you can really do. I would say would be try to open them up as much as possible, try and let the air in as much as you possibly can. Um, organic matter, organic matter can help warm a soil, but that depends what the drainage status is like. Organic matter can also um, hold the soil quite cold as well if it's if it's helping to hold on to too much moisture. Well, our, yeah, our, our organic percentages range from about five and a half down to about four. 
across the farm. So we're, 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 we'll have reasonable organic percentages. But, but yeah, I mean, I think there's more work to be done there. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a bit of a fan of the concept of soil armour from a, from a, a, in an overwintered environment, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when we seem to be getting these more intensive uh, rainfall yeah. periods. Um, I think I think that trying to understand how much um, I don't maybe don't want to use the word compaction, but consolidation uh, rainfall itself produces, uh, I think, is actually quite an important concept to understand. You're you're very very much right uh, there, and some soils are worse than others. I think my I, mine probably takes a biscuit for being probably one of the worst. It's a silty clay loam, a lot of silt in it, and if I don't have my soil covered over the winter. Then I, it, it actually compacts itself because this, the particles run off the surface, run down into the into the uh, into the, the vertical channels and the pores. The more you can do, at not quite at all costs, but the more you can do to to cover the soil surface with vegetation, uh, the better. And given your site and given your soils. I think one of the best things you can do is is probably what you're already doing. How would you view um, the, the the idea of growing something which is not going to do a huge amount of root activity because of the time of year, but perhaps produces more vegetation that can then be grazed uh, out of yeah you know, during the course of the second half of the winter and early spring? I'm thinking of something like um, grazing rye, for instance. Grazing rye, yes, grazing grazing rye is a good one. Um, Westerwald's also Westerwald's Liga is another good one. Um, yeah, uh, as, as you you've already mentioned, I was going to also mention um, you can also end up getting a silage crop off it. Watch something like um, grazing rye because it can really if you if you're in this if you're actually uh, getting rid of it at the end, sometimes it can inhibit seed germination quite badly mainly if it's ploughed in right right well it, it, i don't believe in ploughing um only other only only where a field comes out of grass and into a uh, into crop but it's the only time uh, if i can avoid ploughing otherwise i try to no um, no i realize it's, that this again it's it comes back to this heavy soils and um what damage the wheel that's in the furrow causes yes. i totally agree with that yeah um I would say it would be a good idea to try and do something like that as well. Um, the, the one thing, the people that I'm seeing that have achieved the most with green manures, and uh, Gavin Elric was one of them, um, sadly uh, no longer with us, um, but Gavin had done a lot. And I, it, anybody who's further south than Gavin um, and, and complaining about shortness of season, Gavin was away up in the very north coast, pretty much on the Murray coast. And he'd had quite a bit of success with green manures. And like like many others, um, uh, like Gavin, the ones who are, who are achieving the most are those who have actually tried the most. So they're not afraid of failure because they've had plenty, but they're beginning to have quite a few successes. So the people that I, I know that have done the most with, are, are continuing the most with green manures are those that have tried lots of different things uh, on a small scale. Um, and many, in many cases, not spending a huge amount of money. Um, perhaps some of the seed companies will be down on me afterwards for for uh, this. But sometimes they're using home saved seed. Um, they're using mixtures which are really quite simple, and they're just using what they can do, which might not be the best if you were further south on a lighter soil, but um, the best for you. So I would say 
try, try and try again. Uh, the, 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 I, I have uh, uh, once tried it, um, <laughs> and you'll gather from the retinas in my voice, trying it again fills me with a, a complete dread. Um, if we get delayed with harvest, which frequently happens, uh, you're then looking at a, a silage crop. Uh, to, be, to be fair, I... I I do have. I've got a field at the moment which has got a. Um, it was all seed rape under sown with large white clover, um, and uh, having taken the all seed rape off and cut it quite tall, we topped the stubble. It's now gone back into all seed rape uh, into uh, winter wheat, I should say, uh, um, and uh, uh, we were just in time to get a henpen compost dose on that post drilling. Um, which uh, we'll see whether, whether, yeah, what, what, what good that's done. But, but being direct drilled, I felt that if I could, I ought to, so I did, um, to try and give a little bit of water and nitrogen for it. Um, but I, I, I wondered about the, the idea of having um, a crop under sown with, a, uh, with something like a clover for, uh, for a moment, um, and then using a stripper header to take the seed off and leaving the straw behind and then silaging it um, as mm-hmm. an option, uh, because mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that gives you... Um, your obviously the the greenery would then come back again, and, and the and the straw would be uh, you know, made into forage and fed. Could be yes. quite good forage, I think. Um, yes. And it could be fed directly. I mean, you could bale it pretty straight behind the mower because you've got the dry matter there from the straw too. So you're not then yeah, waiting yeah. for a window to make it. Uh, so I, I'm, 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 I know somebody else locally who, uh, who, who I've been talking to about this, and we, we might collectively try that. The trouble uh-huh. is getting a hold of a stripper header to hire. Um, yes, at the yeah. right time as well. At the, at the right time, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I think it's worth the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think the idea of of, for instance, uh, uh, direct drilling a crop of oats into. Uh, 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 or, or understanding a couple of votes. I mean, the, I guess probably the both the both things uh, stand the same way here, and then taking the oats off and, and, and silaging the aftermath um, would be a, a, a quite an interesting one, um, and yes. um, uh, uh, might then enable you to to have grazing left behind, or which could be in the form of providing a cover crop for the following year, of course. Yes, absolutely, it would. Yes, uh-huh. uh, or uh, uh, you know, a good entry for a for a, a first wheat, uh-huh. and a more yeah, a bit things. more timely, perhaps, than than my current system is. I think that's yeah. I think that's certainly an answer. It's certainly worth trying. Whether it works is probably dependent on the season to a large extent. I'll just in- interrupt and and ask a question. Um, Audrey, are there any any particular green man- manures or mixes that you've come across that that have that have worked particularly well in a in either a no-till or or mint-till system? Um, any that that sort of spring to mind? It depends very much on when when you're talking. So uh, the ones the ones that I have seen, you're quite you're really quite limited if you've got a very 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 short window, you know, between cereal crops. Um, the ones I've seen really are grazing rye on its own, uh, mixtures of rye and vetches, um, or Westerwald ryegrass and vetch mixtures, and some of the very very short term, under or the the, the under sown vetches and clovers. These all have potential. In a bad season, they've all been known to fail. In a, at their best, they can be they can be absolutely phenomenal. But uh, the 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 if the species the, the more exciting things you can see 
would all be about the ones that are in for longer than six months. So the really dramatic impacts that I've seen on soil structure um, in any system, whether it be, be a reduced tillage or min till, um, they have been multi-species mixtures with at least five, well, no, not at least five, it's normally five, uh, all with different jobs. Um, but that's that requires you to take the field out of production. You wouldn't do that unless you had a problem. Sometimes people do. You know, if you end up having to harvest in really wet conditions, for example, or something goes wrong and you're aware that you've got an issue. Um, a farmer I know recently uh, had to harvest in very bad conditions and realised that the drainage was shot. So the whole field was, was redrained and then altogether in a bit of a mess. And they took the field out of production for just one year and had a, a five-species mixture. I think it was from, I couldn't name names really, but it was from a, a, a seed company not far from, uh, I suppose, North Berwick. Um, and they they gave this, this the guy there has been recommending five-species mixtures for a while, and I must admit I was a bit sceptical. But when I saw the biomass, so this was things like, I think it was a couple of legumes, it was a tap-rooted, and buster, it was oil radish, um, and a couple of grasses. So, and, and a, a five species mix you would normally have um, uh, species which did different, different jobs. So, some to scavenge all the available nitrogen, some to fix their own nitrogen, some to burst uh, areas of compaction. I mean, oil radish, if it's well established, can do it's a real brute of a plant, it can really, really. Uh, burst up some of the most recalcitrant plough pans. Um, not necessarily plough pans, it can also help with surface compaction as well. So I think if you're, you've got to divide green manures into two very broad types, the, the very short term overwinter ones, which might just be called cover crops really, and then the, the sort of longer term mixtures with multiple jobs. So the things that a green manure could do um, to give you a very quick list, they might obviously they might give you a short term nitrogen boost from growing the right type of legumes or a long term nitrogen enhancement. Again, maybe white clover or something like that. They can pull nutrients up from, from the deeper soil layers, nutrients that have been leached out over the wet, wetter spells, for example. Um, they can prevent nutrient losses over winter, which of course is one of the things that Dave's interested at Sweet Oak especially nitrogen, but also other nutrients such as sulfur and potassium, which are quite easily lost over winter too. Um, green manures can, they can massively improve soil structure. One of the things that I see most is, is uh, helping to improve water infiltration over the winter, um, which can last over into future seasons as well, these soil structural developments. Um, and also the other, the other thing is, it's not as well proven, we all kind of feel it's right, but we're not so sure exactly yet how, how well it works. Encouraging soil micro, microorganisms and also boosting earth num, earthworm numbers um, and also helping to prevent and control weeds, pests and diseases. But of course, you've got to be really careful here because inappropriate choice of cover crops or green manures can definitely make pests and diseases worse. So mm. there's, there's a lot of thought involved. Can, can I pick up on a couple of things there, Audrey, a minute? Yeah. Um, you've uh, uh, obviously, are a fan of tillage radish. I the, 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 certain the, situations. Yeah, yeah. My, my first experience with overwintered a sown overwintered cover crop going into a spring crop 
uh, included Tillage Radish uh, in the uh, the mix with oh. uh, um, uh, black oats and vetch. Um, and it, it, I found that they the, the, the root bowl was uh, holding too much water. Uh, and then you incorporate that and you've got this rather wet, squidgy mess, which is uh, uh, you know, adding to the moisture retention in the top area, which I want to dry out to be able to drill into. Um, yes. but I, that, so that was just an observation, really. That's, but that's I, interesting. I, yeah, I also note that I, you haven't yet mentioned the beer seam clover. And I wonder whether there was a particular reason for that, because I have yeah, used yeah. beer seam clover uh, and I think reasonably successfully, too. It's good this far north, yes, it is. It's uh, no, I would. I haven't particularly mentioned it. I think I mentioned about four or five other types of clover, uh, Persian clover, crimson clover, mm. sweet clover. Yes, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I, unless I'm mistaken, clovers don't nodulate during the winter months or when it's cold. Yes, yes. In which right. case, a, a, an autumn sown clover crop is not going to add anything to the party in terms of uh, assimilating not nitrogen, but it not would. But but it but it would unless I'm mistaken here again it would actually uh, use nitrogen out of the soil in order to be able to grow, um, and then when it's uh, incorporated in the spring it would release that nitrogen then. Yes, like everything else though, though it yeah. doesn't really yeah it doesn't really do. These these um, all the legumes that we've mentioned, um, really they're not they're not going to be fixing any nitrogen for you over the winter months. Because mm. the, the bacteria which work inside the, the nodules are, it's all temperature dependent. Mm. Um, I wouldn't like to be doing very much way of being useful at that time of year in the soil either. So mostly they're, they're living, but they're not, um, they're not actually functioning. They're not really thriving, are they? Not really, no, no. And so that, that they would start to do their job once the soil warms up in spring, which mm. is no use to you, which is mm. why um, I've not really mentioned them for... Yeah. Uh, being the best but you, you talked about the idea of under sowing and i don't know how feasible what i'm about to ask is but um over sowing pre-harvest um uh, if it's feasible yeah. to do uh, um and i don't know how feasible it would be to do it might be able to be possible off the sprayer booms using an outcast system or something like that to be able to broadcast into the standing crop pre-harvest and then obviously not using pre-harvest roundup um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, something which would at least have started to grow before combining maybe wouldn't have done much more than started to grow to be fair Um, but would then be perhaps three weeks to a month ahead of anything that could be sown post combining Um, I I wonder if you've heard of anybody doing it and if so how much success they've had I've not, no. Um, I I know somebody who somebody else who had the idea, but I don't think they've actually tried it yet. Um, it depends what your soil surface is like, I think, as well. The seed the seed's got to get past the crop canopy mm-hmm. and then get down onto the soil surface, which might well be just too hard and dry for for the seeds to actually do anything. Mm. Um, uh, unusual for us that to be fair right, uh, I, I mean our soil if if left bare um, uh, does bake and crack quite readily um, in the days when we were ploughing I can remember a, a finding soil cracks deep enough to swallow an umbrella uh, uh, yes. in, in length um, huh. and uh, but we I haven't seen much in the way of cracking even last spring uh, there was we had some cracking but not anywhere near the amount of cracking we used to get uh, and I, I and right. by harvest you, you know 
August rainfall, August our wettest month of the year on average, so uh, the top of the soil tends to be damp. Um, and I would think that something which didn't need to be covered to, to strike, yes, so maybe uh -huh. uh, grass seed or, or grass clo seed, yes. clover seed or very small seeds anyway, uh, probably, I'm guessing they might have, yeah, they might have a chance there. I don't know, yes. but I'm guessing they might. It's definitely worth a try. Um, as I said, the, the people who I know have forged ahead with green manures are those who've had, um, had, had a go at various different things. And you find that it does tend to make sense that uh, what works in one farm might work pretty well in a farm next door or two or three farms along, whereas something that's geographically very distant it just won't work at all. So that's the, the huge benefit of monitor farm groups and um, you know, local farmer discussion groups is you can share ideas where there's no, not too much competition, but you can share ideas and, and learn and it's, it's, uh, it's certainly worth trying. But more experimentation, the better, and and absolutely crucial. Monitor and record what you're. What and you're and I and and I guess um you know you mentioned, uh farm to farm differences, but I guess there's also season to season differences and and. and oh and, uh, yes. Yeah, I I think uh, some more tri trials on, on this sort of th thing is, is certainly the way, the way forward in my opinion. Yes, very much. And, and, and unfortunately, it does really fall to uh, farmers and farmer groups because y you'll find that seed companies are interested where there's potential for them to earn loads of money uh, selling seeds. And similarly with machinery manufacturers, you know, if there's, a, if there's going to be a benefit from them, then they'll help to fund trials work. But a lot of the, the work that's really forging ahead just now involves farmers tweaking their production systems and doing something subtly different. Um, but not spending any money with people necessarily, apart from their own time. And so they've got to take the effort to do the trials rather than have them paid by external organisations. The last thing I wanted to touch on was just the the, the focus of the minute is certainly on um, reducing um, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, what role do you think green manures ha have going forward and, uh, you know, um, how effective a t tool are are these sort of new ideas and and um, uh, the growing of these these crops likely to to feature going forward? I would say they would. Um, this is I'm sort of you're catching me as slightly in the hoof. I'm trying to think what the best what the best answers would be, but the obvious thing would be they'll be helping to reduce losses of nutrients because you're you're capturing nitrogen which otherwise would be lost through leaching. And one of the most significant greenhouse gas emissions associated with, with arable farms would just be fertilizer use. So if you're reducing the, the amount of bought in nitrogen, then that's got to be a good thing. And you'll be reducing the amount of bought in, uh, potentially bought in sulfur and potassium in a small way as well. And any mintill farm is going to stand higher than a farm that's still ploughing. And uh, I would say green manures can help well, I, I've seen some phenomenal examples of green manures used in arable farms recently where they're having a, a well-established um, a well a well-established green manure mixture slightly earlier than than what David is doing there because it's it's summer harvested vegetables going into a spring cereal so it's it's got quite at maybe nine months of a green manure crop but uh, there the differences in soil structure and the improvements in terms of uh, microbial activity and, and earthworm activity are, 
absolutely phenomenal. If we can learn how to use green manures to best effect, which is not going to be one recipe, it's going to be multiple recipes from different farms, then I believe we could be looking at cutting the use of machinery. In other words, reducing reducing use of diesel, basically, which is going to help with greenhouse gas emissions, and also reducing fertiliser losses. And potentially, if legumes are there in the mix as well, in some parts of the rotation, then um, they'll fix they'll be fixing their own nitrogen as well. So we'll be we'll be able to reduce nitrogen there as well. So those are probably the main things that, that I can think of. Yeah. And David, would you like to add anything to that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that conceptually, uh, um, the reduction in uh, um, fossil-based uh, uh, inputs, which I include fertilizer in that, um, and chemicals uh, and fuel, uh, are all going to be required, and we're just in my mind that's where we're heading and that's what i'm trying to do um uh, and i think that, that, that that's where our focus has to be looking forward um, and we as already said we ought to be in a better position from a carbon point of view uh, with doing the min till and if we can get it so that we're most of the time doing something near a direct drilling uh, as conditions allow uh, then we'll be closer still Yes, I mean, one of the things I think which is, it's uh, basically, you mentioned, David, about, uh, about organic matter. Are you, have you tested your soil organic matters? Yes. Yep. Yes. And you, you're saying they're about 4 to 6%? So, yeah, 4, four to, I think the, the, the best we have is about 5.8, uh, uh, and the worst is sort of 3.9 or 4. Yes. Well, I, I quite strongly believe that the, the way forward for arable farms is to is to absolutely look towards maximizing your soil health i believe that green manures are a key part of that strategy a lot of us uh, certainly including me have got a lot to learn in order to be able to use green manures to best effect in scotland but in order to do that one of the key things you need to do is make sure you're right on top of your soil health monitoring so think about doing baseline measurements of perhaps one or two other things like maybe you already do this, like not just organic matter, but also um, perhaps putting some numbers on your earthworm count. Yes, um, no, I do. I actually do that. As part oh, of my, my, my yield enhancement network activities, I do worm counts for their soil analysis. Um, uh, and so I, I, I've got an idea of where things are, uh, which interesting enough, are not as bad as I thought they would be. Like, uh, there's, I've one field which I've been working on now for um, quite a few years, eight or nine years, uh, and I have uh, seen a significant rise, I mean a 50% rise in earthworm count, taken at the same time of year, and the deep burrowing sorts too, so that's really encouraging. Those are the ones, th th that's absolutely tremendous, yeah, that's really, really good. I I'm hoping, I was listening to a very interesting Soil Science Society of America uh, thing on soil health, and they really are quite a bit ahead of, in my view, they're quite a bit ahead of where we are in terms of understanding what a microbial profile of a healthy soil should be. And I think um, I think there's going to be big advances there where we may be able to, to look at the, the microbial profile of a soil and then see what green manures or the addition of organic materials or return of straw, res straw residues can do for things like that. And then we might well be able to relate that to yields. Yeah, no, that, that's, I think that's a great, great place to finish. And in, in summary, I think we can conclude that there is a place for green manures 
in the borders going forward, but their use is going to depend on the type of farm and, and probably the season as well. So, so um, guys, uh, thank you very much for such a great discussion. To David, I'd like to firstly give you a big thank you for um, giving such an informative account of your business. Um, it's been great to have you along. Thank you. And Audrey, uh, a big thank you as well for, for taking the time to provide us with such a, um, a great um, scientific base on, on green manures particularly. Thank you. Um, so I'll just finish by, by saying that this, po this podcast was brought to you by the, the Farm Advisory Service. For further info on green manures or a whole host of other subjects, please visit the Farm Advisory Service website on www.fas.scot. If you haven't already listened to the, the first podcast in this Borders Nutrient Strategy series, please do so. I would encourage you to, to go and have a listen. There's also a whole host of other materials, including the, the recorded webinars for the Carechester's uh, Nutrient Network uh, Farm, which Audrey was also, also part of. Um, so all that content is available on the FAS website um, and also on YouTube uh, for the re recorded webinars. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening.